Hello, everyone. So good to be with you tonight. Seems like I hadn't been here on a Wednesday in a while for some reason. Uh, but I'm excited to be here tonight, excited to share uh, the Word with you, open up the Word and see what God would say to us tonight. Uh, why don't you grab your Bibles uh, once you've given and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. I'm going to read two verses there. And uh, we'll pick up a few verses uh, in a couple of other locations. But we'll, uh, as a matter of fact, go ahead and grab, uh, put a little marker in John chapter 1 as well. So we'll, we'll say 1 Corinthians 4 and John 1. Got some great news today. Would you like to hear it? Yeah. Uh, today, about 1 o'clock, we got our uh, engineer's uh, approval to begin work on the interior of our new sanctuary. And um, uh, so that's exciting. Uh, Monday, we'll start spraying the insulation on the ceiling. And then when that, as soon as that's done, the walls will start going up. And uh, the, there, there's already a little bit of the uh, air conditioning ducts hung. You might have seen that on the back and stuff. And the uh, electricians, are they're ready to go. So everybody's lined up and uh, waiting on us. So good times, good times, good times. All right. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1. Pastor Lindsay is in Mid-County tonight uh, preaching there. Uh, keep her in your prayers. I know they're having a great service uh, there as well. Verse 1. Let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. Father, I thank you for your presence that we have felt here today. I thank you that as we open your word, you are going to touch us and speak to us and challenge us and to... Uh, help us go to a deeper level in you to be able to accomplish the things that you've called us to accomplish in this life as disciples. I thank you, God, that you have great things in store for us tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, it seems that uh, here uh, recently, God has had me in a place challenging mine and those around me our discipleship, uh, going beyond the basics of being a Christian and, and challenging us to grow as disciples and to grow as uh, in the kingdom of God, to be uh, fruitful and faithful and make an impact. You know, the thing about it is, in today's world, you know this, we want everything right now. Uh, you remember uh, when fast food was still considered fast? You go through a fast food line now, and how many of you are impatient in the fast food line? I, I'm, I'm not going to lie. I'm sitting here thinking, how long does it take to slap some beans that are already hot on a burrito and a tortilla and wrap it up and give it to me? I mean, seriously, what could be taking so long? I mean, you think, I mean, I mean, we've gone beyond fast food. We need to call it like medium food now uh, because it's just, we want it now. You, you, you look at, uh, you know, um, we want the internet. We, we want it everywhere we go. I mean, the internet on my phone is literally faster than the internet at my house. I'm serious. It is, it is easier for me to create my own personal hotspot on my phone than to use my home internet because it's, I just I need it faster. I mean, three milliseconds is a big deal. 
We want it fast. We want it immediately. We, we've got to have Facebook updates. We've got to have Twitter updates. I won't even tell you about some of the things I hear about and, and read about on Facebook and Twitter. And I think, why would you announce that to the world? Instagram. I don't even know what that is. But not only do we want instant results, but we want it our way. You see, our entire Western um, lifestyle is centered around making things as easy, as fast, as effortless, and as painless as possible. I want it when I want it, and I want it how I want it, and I want it to be easy. Because of this, it seems that we, at times, as a culture... Uh, maybe not you individually, but as a culture, we lose track uh, of the, or we lose touch of the price that true success costs. It's spurred on, uh, it's only spurred on by the tech billionaires who create Facebook and, and become billionaires overnight, or MySpace, or uh, Apple, and, or, or Googles, and, and, and all these millionaires and billionaires that had one simple little idea, and they made it big, and they're retired forever, and, and now we think it should always be that way. We want it quickly. But success has a price. Completing goals, becoming great at something, making an impact, uh, building a business. Wh whatever it is that you've given your life to, it tends to cost you. It costs you hard work. It costs you energy. It costs you discipline. It costs you time. It costs you money. It costs you your resources. It usually involves risk and effort to make it happen. Let's take Apostle, the Apostle Paul as an example right here in verse 4. The Apostle Paul was an incredibly successful man uh, in his life and in his ministry. Even before God, Paul was a very successful man. Uh, it, it is believed uh, 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 in, uh, that when Stephen, in, in the book of Acts, who was the first martyr uh, in the Christian church... Uh, he was the first one killed for his belief in Jesus. It is believed that the man standing there directing the guys to stone him was the man that would later be known as the Apostle Paul. He was very successful. Uh, you know, he, he, he regularly has to run down his list of things that he has done and his accomplishments because the man was very successful in his life. He had some secrets and some keys that, that helped him. But then when he, after God, uh, knocked him off of his donkey and, and changed his life, I, I, there was a report that came out that, that said that other than Jesus, the Apostle Paul is the single most influential man in the history of uh, the Western civilized world. Single most influential man. That more kings, more presidents, more leaders, more people have read and studied and applied the truths uh, from Paul's letters or Paul's epistles, Paul's life. They have applied them and made a bigger impact on the world than anybody in history except Jesus. I would say the man was pretty successful. How about you? 
But you know, we think that, that Paul's success came overnight because if, as you read through the book of Acts and his life, it moves very fast. The book of Acts covers a lot of years, uh, but, but it's only a few chapters. And so we, we get this in our mindset that, that Paul's success came very quickly when in fact it didn't. In fact, uh, once Paul was saved and filled with the Holy Spirit, he then spent three years catching up on all the things that he had missed in the time of Jesus. And he spent three years out in the desert learning and the Holy Spirit pouring into him and teaching him. It literally took him time to catch up. And then once he came back, then he had to start his way at the bottom and work his way up. And then once he worked his way up, he spent, uh, seems like a a good bit of time fighting with Peter and the other apostles uh, about circumcision and, and all these things. Before he became the apostle Paul, it took years. Because it's very rare that you see uh, what we call overnight successes. And even when we see them, the truth is, we're usually only getting a piece of the story. Paul seems like an overnight success, but he really wasn't. It It was years of building in the making, even God working with him before he even knew Jesus. God was still preparing him. Everything that Paul did before uh, Jesus, all of the training, all of the studying, and all of the, the, his, his lineology that God put in him perfectly set him up for the position and the role that God wanted him to play. So for me, I, I look at the life of Paul and I say, man, he accomplished great things. The things he set out to do, he did. Uh, and, and you know, when we think about Jesus, it's, it's at times easy to write Jesus off. Well, Jesus was God. He was deity. Uh, and, and so therefore, you know, he had all this power and authority and miracles. And, you know, well, I can't do what Jesus did. But, but Paul was just a man. And so maybe we, we should look at Paul and say, what were the secrets that Paul had in his success that made him great and allow him to accomplish, to accomplish the things he set out to do? And maybe if we could apply them to our lives, we could do something great too. How many of you would like to know a couple of things that Paul did? Right here he says, consider us. Let a man so consider us. See, Paul gets uh, frustrated throughout his letter with the Corinthian church. Uh, the Corinthian church was actually a pretty messed up church, believe it or not. And as you really dive into what Paul writes to them, you think, okay, did, should they even call themselves a church at times? Uh, but one of the things he got frustrated with them about is that they were, they were continually thinking about him incorrectly. They would either put him too high or put him too low, uh, and they would they would just they just never got it right. So in these verses, Paul says, "I want to tell you how to think about me, and I want to tell you some things about me that that have given me and brought me success." Here's what he says: Consider this. He's going to give us two words to describe himself, and contained in those words are great truths. Consider us as servants of Christ. Notice the word servants here. Do you have the King James Version ready for me, guys? You don't? Okay. Here's what the King James Version says. Let a man so account of us as the ministers of Christ. Now, I want you to note something here. The New King James translates this Greek word as servants. The King James writers translated the same exact Greek word as ministers. 
ministers. You can consider us ministers. You consider us servants. Now, there are several words that, that, that are used in the Greek uh, to translate throughout the New Testament that we translate as servant or ministers. But this is a very unique word, a very distinct word. Uh, and it conveys the essential attitude necessary to get a job done. So when he uses this Greek word, he's, he's saying, uh, I, I'm gonna, I want you to think of me with the essential attitudes to get a job done. And I'm going to give you those secrets. This word actually describes the lowest class of criminals. Uh, these criminals would, would, would commit such uh, terrible crimes that not only were they put away and sentenced, but they wouldn't even keep them in jails behind bars. They would literally take these men and put them on the bottom and the hull of ships and force them to row the ships. You may have seen pictures or movies uh, where you have these long ships with oars, these big long oars sticking out the side, and all these men are down below deck rowing together. How many of you have seen something like that? Uh, and, and this is what this are, these are the men that Paul is specifically referring to with this Greek word. Uh, they are they are literally called under rowers, under rowers, because they were rowing from under the deck, under the upper deck of the ship. So they were under the deck and they were rowing. So they were called under rowers. And so here's what he said. He said, "I, I want you to think about what you know about under rowers." about the life they live, the commitment that they have, and the things that they do, and you're going to see some of the essential attitudes that have led to my success. Here's a few of them. Number one, these men delivered cargo. They delivered cargo. They, they were the guys that caused the ship, they would load the cargo on the ship, and then they would deliver the cargo to its place. This is what they did. This is now their role. They're not just rowing, but they're doing something while they row. They are delivering cargo. This is Paul's commission to deliver cargo. Paul's commission literally is to deliver people to Jesus. This is my commission, and this is our commission as well. Jesus said it in Matthew, go and make disciples of all nations. He said, I want you to bring people to me. Uh, Jesus said, I have come to seek and to save that which is lost. Uh, he, he said in Acts chapter 1 uh, uh, that we should be witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. Why? Because our role is literally to bring people to Jesus. That's what we do. It's not about what your job title is. This is your commission. As, as disciples and as ministers in the kingdom of God, our role, our commission is to bring people to Jesus. And Paul understood, if I can make sure that whatever I'm doing, wherever I am, I am bringing people to Jesus, I am delivering the cargo to the destination, then I can find success. He said, think of me, guys, as the, as the guy who gets the job done, the guy who gets people to Jesus. When the winds and the storms come and, there are, and are pushing us away, I get the job done. We keep rowing till we get them there. When the, when the currents are, are pulling us away, I keep rowing against the current to deliver the cargo. No matter what happens in our life, our commission, every person in this room, every Christian, every believer is the same to make disciples. Turn with me to John chapter 1, verse 6. You may have heard me talk about this before. 
Uh, but this is a wonderful verse of Scripture uh, that is really a, a challenge to me and I believe a challenge uh, to all of us. John chapter 1, verse 6. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He's referring to John the Baptist here. This man came for a witness to bear witness of the light. I want you to notice here that light is capitalized. Okay? We talk about this regularly when uh, a word like this is capitalized in, uh, in, in the New King James Version. It is capitalized because it's referring to who? Jesus or God. Okay? Uh, so he says, this man, John, came for a witness to bear witness of the light, being Jesus, that all through him might believe. He was not the light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. So here's what I want you to look at. Uh, verse 7. This man came for a witness to bear witness of the light. He came to bear witness of Jesus. That all through him. Now, look at the word him there. Is it capitalized? Who is it referring to? John. Watch this now. John was sent as a witness that all men... Not through uh, the Holy Spirit or God the Father or even Jesus the Son. But through John, others might believe. Here's the principle. There was a man or woman in 2013, Wednesday night, sitting in Triumph Church, whose name was, say your name. They were not the light. They came for a witness, to bear witness of the light, that through, say your name again, all might believe. You see, here's the principle. John, just like Paul, was a man that delivered cargo. Whatever it takes, it is on me to get people to Jesus. As disciples of Jesus Christ, as Christians, as believers... Every single one of us, it is on us to get people to Jesus. This doesn't mean you have to go out and be the greatest preacher in the world. It doesn't mean you have to stand with a microphone. It doesn't mean you have to be, it doesn't say anywhere in here that they were master theologians and knew the King James Version and the New American Standard Bible and every other version you could think of. No, 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 no. It didn't say any of that. It just said be a witness. Get others to Jesus. That's our role. That is our commission. So the first principle that we learn uh, about uh, Paul is he delivered cargo. He got, uh, he got people to Jesus. These men, they were not afraid to get their hands dirty. They were not afraid to do some work. They were not afraid to, to get down and do whatever it took. And, and, I, and I look around at, at so many Christians, and I'm going to be honest with you, at times in my life, I have been one of them. A few years ago, I looked up and I realized I didn't know anyone that wasn't saved. Have you ever thought about that in your life? Jesus didn't spend all of his time around people who were always already following him. He kept going and looking for people who, they were following him. Get a picture of this. Jesus is walking and seeking and looking to save those that are lost. They're following him. Everywhere he went, they're following. Where's he going? He's going where there's more sinners. Now, you guys follow me. Now, we're all going to go find some more sinners. 
You get, you, get, you get the picture of this? Jesus went to the sinner's house. Jesus talked to the adulterous woman. Je- Jesus was going to find them. But, but as Christians, we've got to stay in the church. And, and, and you know, no, Pastor, I cannot have anyone that's not saved over at my house. That's, I just cannot I, cannot. I can't afford to rub shoulders with sinners because then I might become a sinner. Guess what? We're already sinners. So, so maybe we should not be afraid to get our hands dirty and actually go meet someone that might need Jesus so that we can deliver the cargo. Build relationships with people that you might bring them to Christ. You ever get a phone call? Always happens at dinner time. Not so bad now because, you know, with cell phones, but when you had your home phone, uh, it always would happen at dinner time, and it's somebody cold calling trying to sell you something. It make you angry. How many, how many of you hung up on a few people? <laughs> come, come on now. <laughs> you know, it, it, it's, it's, you know I'm, I'm eating dinner. Yes, but give me just one. No, no, I'm eating dinner. Just, just give me one second of your time. I can change your life forever. No, you can't, but this steak right here can. Click. <laughs> you know. Um, <laughs> cold calls don't work on most people. Now, they work on some, or else they wouldn't do them. Uh, but they don't work on most people, do they? But you know what does work? Now, the product may not work. But have you heard of multi-level marketing? Why does it work? Relationships. They sell you on something. Someone sells you. And they convince you that all of your friends need it. So you should sell it to them. And when you sell it to them, you're going to make some money. And then they're going to make some money. And the more people they sell it to, the money's going to keep going up. Uh, But why does it work? Well, if it's working for my friend, it must work for me. Relationships, right? That's why, I I mean, I get a phone call once a month about the latest, greatest multi-marketing thing. And I tell people right up front, I don't do multi-marketing. Oh, this is not multi-level marketing. Liar! Just because you got a new name for it and come up with a new product and it's cell phone service this time and it's, it's a, a, a body suit that causes you to lose weight the next time. and <laughs> Pastor Pam, don't say a word. <laughs> Did you sell those? But you know who I'm talking about, did? <laughs> um, uh, um, uh, it's, it's always something, right? Uh, but... They're, they're preying on, listen, it ain't even about the product. It's about convincing you to tell your friends it works, and therefore it works. Listen, I'm, I, I'm kidding with you about multi-level marketing. I really don't do them. There's reasons that I don't do them, so please don't ask me to do them because it's, I'm going to very nicely say no and remind you of this sermon. Okay. Um, but I know there's some good products out there that have done a, little, a lot of good for a lot of people. I personally don't do them. But the, but the principle I'm showing you is the difference between a cold call with no relationship. There are some people, and I know some. I, I have a friend who's a pastor in uh, Sealy, Texas. And I'm telling you, the man can walk up to somebody he's never seen in his life in the middle of Walmart, and they will leave knowing Jesus. He just ha- I mean, he just has that anointing, that salesman anointing on his life. I'm not even kidding with you. I don't tend to have that. Uh, so I have to go about it a different way. I have, to, I have to build relationships with people in order to bring them into the kingdom. So that's me. Now, whatever works for you, I, I, whatever you do, do. Just make sure you're delivering the cargo. The second thing we realize is uh, that these, these men were the engine of these ships. 
They didn't have Evinrude and, and, uh, and all these different, uh, you know, uh, motors and, and uh, Johnson and, and, uh, and Mercury. They didn't have all these things. Uh, so they, they had men that became the engine. What we have to realize is this. God could have chosen any method, any medium by which he could uh, reach this world and rule his kingdom on this earth. And you know what? For some crazy reason, he chose flawed, fallible human beings. He chose us to be the engine that makes his kingdom function on the earth. He said we are his ambassadors. And so that, that boat wouldn't have moved without the men rowing. And God's, in God's kingdom, his church, we are a, the body of Christ. We function as a team. We, we work in timing, all rowing together, or we'll get nowhere. Uh, and we're moving because we are the engine of the kingdom of God. I'm picking up the pace just a little bit. Um, the, the next thing about these men uh, was it was a lifelong commitment. They weren't getting off the ship. This was it. When they got off, it's because they were dead or they were about to die. Uh, this was a life sentence for them. Now, for us, it's not a, we're not serving a life sentence, uh, but because uh, as, as, as Christians, we've not been sentenced, but rather been justified, not even pardoned. We, we were made as if it never happened, our sin never happened. But when God called us, He called us for life. You may. Um, you know, you may retire from your job, but you'll never retire from your commission. As a pastor, I may not pastor Triumph Church when I'm on my deathbed, but I will never retire from my commission. Think about it. Go back to the Great Commission that I read to you or told you from uh, Matthew. Did Jesus say something like this? Uh, I want you to go into all the world and reach two or three disciples, and then you're done. Is that what he said? No. How about this? Did he say, I want you to go into all the world and uh, I, I, I want you to make disciples of all nations for about 20 years. And once you get your tenure, you're done. You can, get, you can have a pew right on the second row with your name on it and nobody can sit there because you have tenure and you don't have to do anything anymore. Is that what Jesus said? No. He just said go. And the implication is go and go. And go, and go, and make disciples, and make more disciples, and make more disciples, who make more disciples, and then you make some more disciples, and make some more disciples, because this is our commission. We can retire from a lot of things, but we never get to retire, we never get to quit the commission. It is a lifelong commitment in being a disciple of Jesus Christ. But Paul did it. He, he gave it all. He, he poured it all out. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, uh, verse 7, uh, he says this, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Back up to verse 6. Do you have that right there? No, it's okay. Don't worry about it. Here, here's what he said. I, I fought the good fight. I, I gave it everything I had. I finished the race. He's just said, I am already being poured out as a drink offering, meaning I have given every single thing. The word poured out there implies that they took the cup and they poured it all out. 
And then they shook it all out. And then they, and then, and then they took a napkin and they soaked up everything that was left until it was completely dry. And nothing was left. This is what Paul was saying. I have given everything. And he knows I'm about to die right here. This is, this is the last few days, weeks, and months of his life. But even as he's saying, I finished my race, he's still writing letters. And he's still talking to Timothy and encouraging Timothy. And he's still running the race even as he says, I finished the race. Uh, I, you know this about me. I, I teach girls softball, coach girls softball. And um, there's a principle when you're running down the baseline from home to first base after you hit the ball. There is a principle that we teach. It's called running all the way through the bag. Anybody ever heard of this before? And, and so the principle is uh, if, you, if you run up and then you slow down right before you get to the bag so that you can stop on first base, if it's a close play, you slow down. It gives the defense time to throw you out. So you run hard all the way through the bag. I make my girls run like five yards past the bag. Uh, to teach them, we run hard all the way through the finish line. This is what Paul did. I finished the race. I ran hard. I, kept, I fought the good fight. I kept going all the way through. It was a lifelong commitment. And then we realize that these men are men under authority. They were men under, they were men under the direction of another. They were men looking for orders, waiting for orders. And they didn't wait, but they went. The, the moment the orders were given, they worked without hesitation because they had trust in their captain. You see, when you are navigating a ship through uh, difficult seas, through stormy seas, or if you're navigating a ship through rocks uh, and, and, and into getting up to the bank, when the captain gives an order, if there was hesitation, the, the, the boat could sink. And so they had to obey without hesitation. And the same thing is true of us in our lives. As disciples of Jesus Christ, when he gives an order... We've got to obey without hesitation because we are men and women under authority. The kingdom of God is one that is a one of order and one of authority. It makes things more uh, productive. Uh, this kingdom is not a free-for-all. What we don't need in the kingdom of God, in the church, is more people out there doing their own thing. What we need is more people working together in order under authority. Because the captain could see the big picture. You remember where the men were? The men were below deck. The only things they could see was the guy sitting across from them rowing. They could see the row oar in their hands. They could see through the little crack out the window that the oar went out. And they could see what was beside them. But they couldn't see what was in front of them. They couldn't see the storms in front of them. They couldn't see what was behind them. They couldn't see what was coming up on the other side of the boat. They couldn't see, so they had to rely upon the view of the captain who could see the big picture. And when he said, go right, they had to go right and trust in him. And the, and the, the importance of being under authority is because God puts people in our lives that can see the big picture. When we're down in the depths and our head is down and we're trying to make life work and we're trying to follow Him and we're trying to do everything right, we have to have people in our lives that are above it and can look around and say, now listen, if you keep going that way, you're going to lead to some rocks. So what I want you to do is steer to the left a little bit right here. Paul understood being under authority. He said, consider me a servant that is under authority. The authority and under the authority of God. Are you under authority in your life? 
The second word that he says is he says, consider us stewards of the mysteries of God. Stewards. What was a steward? A steward here is specifically referring to the manager of the household. They managed the household. They kept the accounting books. They handled the money of the owner of the house. But the thing about these stewards were they were still slaves. They were still servants. They were, but they, were, they just had a lot more authority. So they were, they were servants. They, they, they had, um, they had been, had great trust put, put in them, but they were still under authority. But the, but the other thing about them is these were slaves under authority, and yet they ruled the house. So not only they were, were they slaves, and not only were they under authority, but they were also men who were in authority. And so they handled all the other servants, and they directed the affairs of the house. And if, if someone needed to be uh, uh, disciplined in one way, fashion or another, they handled that. Uh, they would often raise the kids, and uh, they would even handle the finances of the family and give out money as they needed it. And so these men were, were men that were both under authority and in authority. So Paul says, the, the, the unique thing about Paul is he understood, first of all, being under authority, but simultaneously being in authority. He could do both. He could handle authority. He could recognize the moment, who he was a talking to, and respond accordingly. Uh, you ever get frustrated with your kids? Because they're talking to their friends and they're using one language and, or maybe it's a brother or sister and they're, you know, bickering and fighting. And then they turn to talk to you and they use the same language they were using against their brother or sister or their friend. Oh, no, I don't even think so. What do you say? You will not talk to me that way. I will wash your mouth out with soap or whatever it is that you say to them. I, um, I will blister your behind. That's what my dad used to say to me. Uh, or he would say, I will tear your hide up. You know, why? Because as kids, we, were, we have to teach our kids to recognize uh, you may be the boss over your little brother, but you're not the boss of me and your language better change. All right. And so, and so Paul is saying, I, I am a man who understands I can simultaneously be in authority over some and under the authority of others all at the same time. Can you do that in your life? If you want to advance, we're talking a lot about the kingdom of God here today, but I will tell you that as an employer, if you want to advance in, in management, you better be able to understand authority. And you better be able to, when it's time to take authority, you better be able to take it. And when it's time to fall in under someone else's authority, you better be able to fall in seamlessly. And, and, and that, is, that is one way to help you advance. If, you, if you're working for someone else and you want advancement, understand authority. So what did they manage? They managed the mysteries of God. Part of Paul's role and ours is to steward the truth of God's word. They stewarded the truth of God's word. Uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, Paul writes, uh, When I was a child, I spoke as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. The mysteries of the kingdom of God, the, the truths of the word of God, they can't all be taken at one time. Just like with your kids, you can't teach them all the truths of the world and put them on them at five years old. It will cripple them, right? All the things you know about life and the world, if you told it to your child, it would shut them down and scare them to death. They'd never leave the house, would they? 
right? That's why we guard what we allow them to watch on television. We guard what we allow them to listen to. We guard who we allow them to hang out with, right? Because we have to manage what is going into their lives and the truths that they are learning. We don't want them... It's, it doesn't mean that the truth is not true. It just means that it's not time for you to know it yet, right? And so when, when Paul says we, we are stewards of the mysteries of God, when you come into the kingdom of God, there is a book full of truth. A thousand pages or so in my Bible, maybe more in yours, if you've got one of them big, thick jokers. You don't get them all the first day you come to Jesus. Even Paul, it took years for him to learn them. He didn't get from the, the donkey on the side of the road to writing this letter to the Corinthian church overnight. Because we have to steward the mysteries of God in the lives of others. One of the things that, uh, one of the reasons that we're under authority in our lives, me included, is that the truths and the mysteries of God are being stewarded in my life. God, first of all, is revealing to me as he feels that I'm ready. As I've studied, I've shown myself approved, God reveals more. And then he'll do the same for you. The more you study, the more you learn, the more you do well with what you have, the more he'll give you. Right? And so, and then there are people in my life. I've, my dad has been the, the number one tutor in my life. And I can tell you that he, tell, he has taught me things in the last year, specifically as we've dealt with this building, that I wasn't ready for 10 years ago. But the time came. He, why? Because he is stewarding the truths of the Word of God in my life. That's part of our role as pastors. Part of the role of our pastors and elders and our leaders is to help steward the truth in your life. There, there are truths that, if, that if, when you first came to Jesus, if you knew, you might give up and walk away. That's why, uh, that I, that's why I believe that many of us uh, experience kind of that honeymoon phase with Jesus. You know, when you first get to Jesus and it just, you know, you're so happy and joyful and all is well and, you know, you're floating on a cloud and why doesn't everybody, you know, know Jesus and all? Do you remember that? And then the devil came and attacked you. <laughs> right? Uh, but, 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 you know, if, if, if Jesus just told you right up front, thank you for coming to get to, to meet me. Now I want you to know that all hell is about to break loose on you. You'd be like, well, dude, no thanks, man. You know, so we, we, we steward the mysteries of God. The more you grow, the more you get. Watch what he says here in verse 2. Where am I at? I'm not preaching out of Philippians tonight. Here we go. Moreover, it is required in student stewards that one be found faithful. You're a steward in your life. You're a steward over your kids. You're a steward over uh, possibly other people that God has placed you in their life to steward the mysteries of God in their lives. So here's what he said. It is required. Not, well, it's a good thing if a steward is faithful. You know, it would be nice and we would appreciate it. And, you know, it's, it's a take it or leave it deal. No, 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 no. It is a requirement of stewards to be found faithful. One of Paul's successes was that he was a good steward. And to be a good steward, you must be faithful. But there is a unique thing about this word faithful in the New, King, in the, in the New Testament. Because faithfulness is not just showing up, but faithfulness is actually producing. Remember in Luke chapter 19, 
uh, the, the master gave ten of his servants, he gave them all a, a, a piece of money. Uh, let's say he gave them all ten dollars. Uh, and uh, when, then he left and he did a bunch of cool stuff. And when he came back, he went to the first guy and he said, hey, what'd you do with my ten dollars? And he said, I turned it into a hundred. He multiplied it times ten. And what did he say? Well done, my good and faithful servant. Because in the kingdom of God, faithful and productivity go together. You say, well, Pastor Renner, all I got to do is be faithful. All I got to do is show up. I just got to show up on Sundays. That's it. If I, as long as I show up, I'm being faithful. Not really. Because in the same story... Uh, Jesus went to the man and he said, listen, I knew you were kind of a tough boss. So I, I, I saved my money and I didn't lose it, but I brought it back to you just like you had it for me. And the guy was not very happy, was he? Because in the kingdom of God, faithfulness and productivity go together. You cannot be f- considered faithful and not be productive. So what are we doing to produce for the kingdom of God in our lives? What have you done this year? To produce fruit for the kingdom of God. This is a real question that every steward must ask. The steward in Luke chapter 19 is the exact same type of steward that Paul is talking about in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. What are we doing? Are we producing? Have we produced something this year? We're, con- we're, we're coming to a conclusion in the first quarter of 2013. Can you believe it? It's Easter Sunday coming up in a week and a half. What have you done this year to produce for the kingdom of God? He said to the man, Well done, good servant, because you were faithful in a very little. You now have authority over ten cities. We're faithful if we produce with what God has given us. He'll not just give us more of the same, but he'll multiply. He gave him one mina or, or one lump sum of money, but when he returned the next, the next time, he gave him ten, ten cities. That's the way God works. When you're faithful, meaning you, you're producing, the same level at which you produce God wants to pour it on you at an even multiplied level. What have you done for the kingdom of God? What have you done with the talent that God gave you? Have you worked to get better at it? Or is it just the same? Well, God, I stewarded it, man. I took real good care of it. Uh, You know, I'm just as good as I was a year ago. What have you done with the resources that God has given you? Have you worked to produce more in your life? Well, we, we must be faithful with what we have. If we want God to give us more with the resources, with the talent, with the money, with the authority, with the power of the Holy Spirit. What have you, what have you done with what God has given you? We sing the songs about asking God for more and more and more. And, and I sing them and love them and, and encourage that you sing them and, and believe them. But the truth is that the principle of the God, word of God is unless we're producing with what he's given us, we can sing more and more and more all day long. He's not going to give any more. So I I end with this question. What have you done to produce the kingdom of God? Who have you delivered? What what cargo have you delivered to its destination? Who have you brought to Jesus? 
Whose life have you made a difference in? It's challenging questions. Pastor Renner, I'm not, a, I'm not a pastor. I'm not a minister. No, no, no. This is for everybody. This is the Great Commission. This is, this is, this is for all of us. This is for you and me. My, my role happens to be to stand in front of you and, and deliver the word of God. But all of our role is to deliver people to Jesus. That's, that's it. It's all of us. Stand with me. I'm done. <clears throat> I want to pray for you tonight. And I want to ask the Holy Spirit to um, illuminate, illuminate your life for you. I don't need to know. But I want to ask God to illuminate your life for you and to answer this question, what have you done for the kingdom of God this year? With all the things that God has given you and blessed you with, what have you done? Have you really been faithful? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for your presence that has been here tonight, for the miraculous things that you've done, touching our hearts and speaking to us and uh, for the, for the um, encouragement and the peace and the happiness and joy that you brought to so many of our lives today. But, Father, right now there's a very important question I believe that you sent me here to ask today, and that is simply this. For every one of us in this room, what have we done for the kingdom of God this year? Have we produced? Have we been faithful? Not just if we showed up, but God, what have we done? Have we delivered anybody to you? Have we been a witness? Have we been a light that through us, they might know you? Lord, I pray that you would give us, uh, that, that you would speak to each of us, your Holy Spirit, the truth of where we are. Because God, we want to be faithful servants to you. We want to be faithful over the little, that you might give to us more. That with the more, we can do more and more and more for you and for the kingdom of God. I thank you for every disciple in this room, that we've accepted the great commission to go and make disciples of all nations. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.